I was in trouble with the guards. They put me here. See, I was on two years probation. I was on the street, you know, looking for money. But I never drank. And, um, well, I was in trouble. And I had a baby as well, you know. So when I came in here first, the old people were very nice to me. I was always running away from home. And so, ever since that, I came in here. Eventually, they told me that I was adopted, and this got in on me now. And I was coming up 12, 13, 14. But um, it kind of got in on me, and always I thought, well, they're not my parents, and they're not... Uh, very hard, you know, to me they were very hard. And um, it was always in my mind. You, you just couldn't... There was a block there and you couldn't... They're not your parents. You know, I'd say, well, at the time they were good. But then again, you see, the opposite would come, you know. And if she was in a bad humour, bad form, wallop, I'd get it, you know. And... Uh, I got one day, I got such a wallop, I landed up again the wall, and my ears started to pour blood. And I thought, well, this is getting a bit too, I'm going to go away now for good, and I'll never go where they'll never find me. That's what I thought. You know, when you're young, you all these ideas. Wasn't I caught? I got the police out, and I was caught. I was put on probation for three years. The nuns sort of treated us human beings. The reason human beings, you see, I mean, there are so people, many people outside just treat quite the reverse, you see. We have a home here, and they're very kind. We've nothing to worry about if we're sick, if we're lonely, we've somebody to go to. If we're depressed or anything like that, we can go out for a walk or something like that, you know. 1937, I came. I found it terribly strange for a long time. And lonesome, you know, that kind of way. Because no one ever came near me until Eileen came. You don't have to go very far back in the history in Ireland where once you had a baby, that was it. And particularly true, that would have been of people who were in the country, small country villages where the whole family was stigmatised in their view by one girl having one baby. You know, it, it, it's unbelievable. The voices of some of the women who live and work in the Convent of Our Lady of Charity in Sean McDermott Street in Dublin. But let's go back in time, back to the mid-19th century, when an increasing number of convents ran what were then called Magdalene Homes, and the official jargon referred to them as asylums for ex-prostitutes, women who had children out of wedlock, and even women who were in danger of losing their virginity. Down in Mecklenburg Street, now known as Railway Street, a very charitable lady called Bridget Bourke opened a home for women who were troubled and in need of a helping hand. Many years later, this establishment was taken over by the Sisters of Mercy in Baggett Street. They acquired an extra bit of land, extended the premises to Gloucester Street, and then, just over a 100 years ago, the Sisters of Our Lady of Charity took on the direction of the home, 
And that's where our story begins. In a building that occupies the corner of Railway Street, once known as Mecklenburg Street, and a corner of Sean McDermott Street, once known as Gloucester Street. There are about 60 women in the home now, aged between 40 and 90, some there for over 50 years, and they support themselves to a large extent by laundry work. But let's hear their story from Pauline, Sarah, Elizabeth, Joan, Philomena, Rachel, Sister Kevin and Sister Lucy Bruton. Since I entered, and that was 1955, things have been changing. Uh, up to that, they were regarded as refuges for women who had had a dreadful experiences in life. Some of them had been on the streets. Uh, some of them had been alcoholic. Uh, some of them were just victims of society where not able to live in their own families because their families couldn't cope with them. A lot of them were retarded, not them all. A certain number of them were retarded. But one thing they all had in common, and that was they couldn't live at home, either because the families couldn't cope with them or because the family didn't want to cope with them. Now, this area, not too far from here, was known as the Monto area at one time, and it brought a certain kind of women and a certain kind of business there. Would that be one of the reasons why this home started in the first instance? No, not that I know of. Uh, I think it's the other way around. I think we were here before the Monto. <laughs> and uh, it, it was literally for people who had no no way to live because of the sorts of lives they were living. They were rejected by their families and by society and by the same society whom they served in other ways. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, society can be very two-faced. In one, in one uh, side, they will say, well, yes, you know, we, there's always a need for a prostitute, or there's always a need for somebody, for uh, brothels and everything else. On the same side, they will turn around and say, but we don't want the people who go into them. You know, so it's, it's a two-sided, two-faced society, still is. And I remember the, the people I was with, her husband, used to take me up to Dalbeth Cemetery. And the convent, you know how they're always next to a cemetery. And we'd stand up where the graves were and we'd look down. I was about 15 and I always remember him saying, that you could see the girls walking all around the grounds. And he used to say to me, see them girls, they're bad girls. And another horrible thing that I remember, remember I told you, we, was, uh, we lived in the tenement houses and I used to have to sit up in the window. Now, I mean, this is funny. There was a building 
facing, we had what we called a high back, you know, in the tenements, like the, the back was up the yards where we played, we'd be up. But um, there was a building opposite, and she used to always say, um, I want you to sit up at that window all the time, she said, when you're free time, and look over there. And I'd be looking, but I didn't have a clue. And I used to see women with men, and they'd go up this place, you see. I used to, after a while, then you'd see the men coming out. It never dawned on me what happened. One day I said to her, what have you got me watching these up here, says I, in and out, says I, the women are going in with men and the men come out. That's what your mother was, she said. Says I, what is it? You'll find out time enough, says she. Well, that got into me, and I went and I asked somebody, and they said, that, uh, over there they called them models, it's a model. You know, a lodging house for bad women. And she, she asked what your mother was. But I couldn't believe that. I came in here in um, 1949, and I'm 41 years here. And I was only 22 years of age when I came here. And you know what age I am now? Give a guess. Oh, well, you're only looking for 42, but you must be more. I'm 63. And, um, well, I was in trouble. And I had a baby as well, you know. But when you were a young one, Sarah, now, did you sleep around a lot with fellows? Well, no, I didn't sleep a lot around with the boys. I slept on myself, like, you know. And I was sleeping out rough and everything. And ever since... Yeah, but you used to have sex with a lot of fellows in that now. Well, sometimes I used to have, sometimes. But not all the time, no, not all the time. And did it never cross your mind that you might get pregnant? No, it never crossed my mind at all, no, never did. And where would you meet the fellows? In a pub, is it, or what? No, I used to meet them at um, maybe, say, no, Collins Street. You know, I was going around and I was in trouble and everything with the guards and all. So I was in trouble with the guards. And why were you in trouble with the guards? Because I was going around. See, I was lightning and everything, you know, and they put me here. See, I was on two years probation. Yeah. And they put me here for the Like, did you work on the street for a while? No, I was on the street, you know, looking for money. But I never drank. And was it easy to get money now at that time? On the street? Oh, it was. It was very easy to get money that time. What, were there be sailors or what kind of people? Oh, sailors. Sailors. And dry dock sailors as well? Yes, dry dock. You know... So I never, I never took drugs or anything. But and would the guards chase you then? Yes. But this would be in O'Connell Street, is it? Yes, in O'Connell Street, yeah. And you'd be up in court? Oh, I'd be up in court. Well, and what uh, would... Well, yeah? I was only up in court once, but that was all. Once I was in court. And, and did you make a lot of money? Well, sometimes I made up to maybe nearly 20 or 30 pounds. In a night? Yes. Well, that was good money then. Oh, it was very good money. Very, very good. The money was good, but I couldn't stop. And then um, some of the Legion and Mary said, why don't you give up the streets? 
and come with us to the camp. And, and I gave it up then when they told me to stop. And were so you a I couple of years at it then? I was a couple of years, about three years at it. But not now. I never think of it now. No. And I can remember well back. I never think of it now. Now, would those women then have held a grudge against the society that made them end up in, say, a place like this, a home, a residential home? I think there must be an element of that, and you would often hear some of the very older women saying, you know, I never got a chance, or, you know, everything was against me, and everything was against them. So I think there was... I think it's, it's deep down. I don't think it was ever intellectualised or even conceptualised, but there must be there. You know, there must be a feeling. Well, you know, why had I to land up here? You know, why is it that somebody else uh, can... Particularly these days, you know, when you take up the newspaper and you'll hear about this one and that one and the other one who have children outside marriages and who can live all sorts of immoral lives, and they're the first news in the paper, you know very difficult not to have a grudge against that society, I would think. And some of these might have committed just an occasional kind of sin or breach of regulations and it utterly changed their whole lives. That's right. I know of people myself who once went out with a man on one occasion and they were caught, as they'll say, you know. And uh, I wouldn't use the word sin at all. Um, First of all, nobody ever knows whether anyone commits a sin or not. I would regard that most of the women who had come into our care, even as far back as 100 years ago, were victims. Uh, they were very often victims of homes which were violent. Or in some way, it's a strange thing, very often there was some sort of physical defect. This is one of the things we've often noticed. Maybe one member of a family wasn't quite as bright or intelligent or as healthy. You know, there might be something. And they probably feel in some way they had to make their mark, perhaps. You know, I don't know what the... It's, I don't think it was ever conceptualised. And I don't believe that any of the women that we have ever had, you know, said, I'm going out to live such and such a life because it's profitable. My mother died, uh, I was five years of age, and my mother was 24. She died in the birth of a baby. I think the, my, the baby, I think, died too. And I had two older sisters and a younger sister. There was four of us in the family. And my father uh, brought my, sis my sister and myself to the Sacred Heart home. 
And I, I remember him well, and he was only five years of age, and I remember saying to him, where are you bringing us, Dad? And he says, I'm bringing you to the doctor. I remember those words. And then when I went into the school, like, um, they never, they, they were all right. You see, the way it was in the school where I was in, they hadn't much. You know, they, at least they had a public laundry here, something to keep them going. But there they only had a kind of a committee and were living on kind of, well, help from others kind of thing, you know. But they couldn't really give you individual treatment. They but Philomena, when you, Philomena, when you discovered then that your dad wasn't bringing you to the doctors, he was putting you into that home, how did you feel then? Were you very sad, lonely or upset? I was very, very, I was very, very upset because I remembered my mother. I remembered my mother so much. I remember even going up to see her. Now, I was only five, but I can still remember. I remember combing her hair and she was lovely. And um, I didn't know, you see, I hadn't the sense to know that she was dead. You know, we didn't know anything like that at the time. Like, my mother was dead and you would never see her again. I didn't know that. Up there, like, we were orphans, but they had no time for anybody individually. You see, we were all treated kind of the same, you know. But then I, I was sent down here because, well, they said I wasn't ready for a job. I was a bit wild. And um, they, they showed great affection here, great love. The nuns, you know, they were very, very kind. Like, it was the first time, really, that we were shown affection. I was all over, long over 20 or 30, mm. nearly, I'd say, when I came up here. So I'm 86 now. And uh, what brought you up to Dublin, Elizabeth? I was, I was sent up here. Uh, Sister Elizabeth, that was in the place, at the, at the home at the time, and she sent me up here when, when Eileen went. And Eileen went to the convent, you see. She sent me up here. She was... Because, you see, Mama... Dad, I was dead at the time, and Mama was in the asylum. My mother, she was in Clonmel, and the house was gone once she went... And there was nobody there. So this is, she said then that she said if she left me, if I was out, that the same thing had happened again. So she sent me up here, and I'm here ever since. Yeah, what does she mean that the same thing would happen again? There's no having poor Eileen. They say that it's, it, the same thing had happened again. She that said. you might have another yeah. child. Yeah. But at that time, Liz, now down the country. If you were unmarried, as you were, and had a baby, yeah. was there a great stigma attached to it? Were people talking about it in that? Oh, or? they would. Yeah. They wouldn't have you near it at that time. They wouldn't. They turned against you. And did you feel that? I did. I sure that my mass people turned against me. They never, they never come near me at all while I was there. Not one of them came near me. While I was there, and they were in the, they were outside the, in the out, just outside the town where they were living, and not one of them ever came near me. And Mama died in Clonmel, and she didn't even know I had Eileen. Now, oh, in the early stages of 
you would life here in the convent. Were the, were the girls different to what they are now? Um, I suppose basically they weren't really different, but they were much, much more deprived. You know, I mean, they had really nothing, and they nobody accepted them or wanted them or anything, and uh, they had no visitors, no, no money, no clothes or anything. You know, I mean, it was very, very strict and um, hard on them. Really, you know, their people didn't want them back or. Nobody wanted to employ them or anything like that. And the routine in the convent for them at that time would have been more difficult than it is now. Oh, yeah. So it was a real... Uh, it was much the same as our own, you know. They had did everything to the, the, the sound of the bell and had silence and prayer practically all day, you know. But then they, they got in on it and they enjoyed it, you know. And their one aim was to become children of Mary... And uh, very often then, if they, they do a year in Thanksgiving after that, and then if they wanted to go out, if they were intelligent enough and we thought they'd get on, many did go out and make good outside. No, then others came back again, and, you know, the usual. But I certainly their life was much harder than it is. Well, harder in the sense of material comforts. But I suppose the, otherwise the, they have more more uh, temptations nowadays, I'd say, really. Well, at that time, a lot of the women who came in here were referred here by the courts, and they had no choice, wasn't that right? Well, that came later on than when I was here first. You see, like, I mean, in my time, uh, there wasn't much of that. But later on, the, when the courts became interested in them and that, you know, they did... Uh, come like that. But most of them in the beginning were were either um, referred by um, the Legion of Mary or priests or nuns or, you know, like that kind of thing, more than the official capacity. You know? Rachel, how many years are you here in this convent? I'm 52 years here. And can you remember now, back to the day you came in here? I can. I remember the day I came in. It was on, on a Friday night. And, you know, everything was so strange when you come in the next morning because I've never been with a crowd before. Well, you feel foolish, you don't know what to do or anything. And I remember I was crying. And I remember one girl came along and she said to the nun, put her up on the doorless dormitory to clean it. You know, you remember those little things. It was lovely. Well, I was only supposed to be coming for a night. Well, why did you think you were only coming in for a night? Because, you know, long ago, people were very strict about girls coming in at a certain time, do you see? And I was staying with my aunt for a while, and it was past 10 o'clock a few nights. So she brought me down here to frighten me. And she said she'd come for me the next morning. So I said, you need better come near me anymore. So I liked it, and I'm here ever since.
Uh, how do you spend your day here, Joan? What do you mean? Like, what, do I do? what do I do for the day? You walk in the laundry. Love, do, love doing it. Now tell me about working in the laundry. What do you do and how does it go on? What kind of clothes <laughs> you get? All that kind of thing. Well, um, in the laundry, just as the washing comes up out of the washing machine, we like shake them out and get them ready to go in onto the cylinder, you know. We pressed out. That's all. Work's not really hard. And where does the laundry come from? Different places. Uh, Mount Joy, St. Patrick's, and uh, I think the Maha Hospital, and the Morning Star, and Regina Chaley, and Fairview, and different places, hotels. Unless a ship might come up, then we'd have extra work to do, you know. Well, life here you know, in those days, long before you came, sister, would have been quite difficult. At least the routine was difficult, wasn't it? You work very hard in the laundry. Wasn't that the main That's thing? Right. Why was it always a laundry? We've often wondered why it was a laundry. Um, I believe myself um, that one of the things that is a very natural, um, a natural occupation, most people can wash clothes and everybody always wants their clothes washed. I think it was just as simple as that. We have always had laundries as far back as 1641. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wonder whose clothes you were washing then. <laughs> I'm sure there were plenty to wash. So I think it was an, an easy occupation in that, you know, it didn't require great skill because everybody learns how to do laundry. And there was always a demand for it because you always had things like hospitals and hotels who needed linens and all that washed, apart from uh, private uh, homes who would want laundry done as well. Down through the years then, sister, was the laundry the main source of income for the home? Until about in the 1960s, it was the only income, the only income, whatever. And this will horrify you. We started off, I think it was the late 1960s or the early 1970s, we made a breakthrough and it was absolutely wonderful. We got a grant towards pocket money for the ladies who worked here, and it was the princely sum of £1.50 a week. And that was in the late 60s, early 70s. And that was a breakthrough. And are you getting any more money now? Any grants or anything like that? Well, that 150 has been pushed at and pushed at and pushed at since 1970 until now we're getting the absolutely enormous sum of £16.90 per week for those who are not old-age pensioners. Everybody with an old-age pension gets an old-age pension. Besides that 1690, and that's we get 1690 for 33 ladies, um, besides that we get a salary for a nurse and a salary for a nurse attendant, and that's it. So you've got to keep on washing the clothes? We do, yes. It is absolutely necessary. Um, 
the whole thing was we were very happy. And then we go to our bed. We'd, or we'd say our night prayers. And then we'd retire to bed. And of course, there was strict silence. We had to give our silence. Of course, we never kept the silence. We'd keep the silence when we'd know the person in charge was asleep. We'd start whispering and that, you know. But uh, the silence used to get us down sometimes, you know, being young. The others were more, like, they were more used to it and that. And we'd want a bit of excitement and we'd say, God's a man on the roof, <laughs> you know? And there wouldn't be any man there at all, and they'd get you in the police and everything, and we'd be lying on our beds, and they'd say, who saw the man? I'd say, we did. They just, what kind of clothes had him? I couldn't see. My eyes were half closed. They woke the noise woke me up. And they used to get in the police and everything. You know, it was only for a bit of excitement, like, and only innocent fun. And, you know, we never sat down much. We always used everything. Like, now, if there was a bit of dance music on the radio, we could show up and we'd dance, or we could go out and we kick ball. We were great footballers that time. We'd used to use ourselves, you know. Out the back of the laundry here, sister. This was a well-known part of Dublin in days gone by. That's right. There was a street there. Frank Duff talked about it in his book, Miracles on Tap, and he gave it the name Bentley Street, I think. Now, I don't know what the real name of the street was, but that was the street where the Monto was, the red-light district of this area. I think there's a garden built over it now. There's a garden here, and then there's a garden beside St. Mary Man Mary's Mansions, and that whole part was where that street was. And I believe it was a very um, profitable kind of area in its day. Oh yes, depending on what you call profit, but yes. <laughs> well, people made money from it. People made tons of money, I'd say, yes. And it yes. wasn't just, I believe, an area that catered for people like sailors in our boats and that. No, according to Frank Duff again, um, he went down there as a legionary and he was horrified to meet some of the people that he knew, you know, people in his own sphere of work and uh, occupation. <laughs> well, the only thing now that's symbolic with that area that I can see around is that statue of Mary Magdalene there washing the feet of Christ. That would be true, yes, that would be true. But we're all Magdalens, you know, we're all sinners. <laughs> We'd like to take you to a part of Dublin that is probably not in any guidebook. It is uh, bounded on one side by Gardner Street, on another by Sheriff Street, and on another by the far-famed Gloucester Diamond. <laughs> now, in the middle of all this area, there was a street called Montgomery Street. The whole area has since been closed down by the Legion of Mary, I believe. Because, uh, <laughs> Because at one time, it was one of the most famous red-light districts in Europe. <laughs> and uh, that's probably why it's not in your guidebook. Anyway, yeah. Uh, his name of the song is The Monto. Well, if you've got a wing, oh, take her up to ring, oh, where the waxy sing, oh, all the day. If you've had your fill of porter and you can't go any further, just give your man the order back to the K. And take her up to Monto, 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 take her up to 
Many of the girls who spent a few years in the convent of Our Lady of Charity in Sean McDermott Street left afterwards to pick up the threads of life in the big world outside. Many left and returned again because they missed the kindness, the security and the care of the sisters. Some even came back after the death of a husband. Others still were forgotten by the big world. And when you come in, you get this love. Um, when I came in here, the old women that were here, they were lovely, you know, and um, they'd be kind to you, and they would, like as we say, help you on. And if you didn't know how to do things, they would show you what to do, you know. And you really um, fitted in, didn't matter what anybody was. Nobody bothered about that. You got love, you got care, and you got the same from the sisters. There's something in it, give a peace that you can't find outside. For me, anyway, that's it. And um, even when I was married, you know, um, I used to tell my husband, because we'd get up to little tricks and things here, you know, villainy, just for fun, you know, mostly to get noticed or get, you know. And um, he used to laugh, you know, and he'd say, oh... You know, so finally, when he was dying, he said to me, you know, Pauline, he said, you know, I'm dying, and I knew for months. And he said, you know, the world's an awful place. He said, you're a, you've been a good girl, you're a good wife. He said, but he said, I want you to promise me one thing. I hate to think you've been left on your own. Go back to the nuns. When the Lord comes to call me, I'm sure of prayers all the time when I'm gone. And you're always remembered. On the outside, I'd be, I would never have a prayer. And that's been truthful. Wouldn't have a prayer. I was terrified on my own. Terrified. I spent 12 months after my husband, Lord of Mercy, on him died. And I don't know how that 12 months went. Because the fear, I used to, now, you know, along John table, you know, the, the long, I used to put that up against the door with a great big armchair on top of that. And I used to balance lemonade bottles, milk bottles, everything on it, so if anyone came through the door, as if I'd hear that, you know, if I was out, but that's the way I lived, afraid to sleep at night. Um, 48 years here, about 48 years here. Of course, I've been in and out a bit, you know, like, you know, and I get lonely and I run back to them, you know. And friends and relations visit you from time to time? No, I don't have my family. I don't like, well, I've lost touch with my family. Just good for a while, but if I, I have plenty of friends. And do they know where you are, do you think? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But it comes up to myself, you see, I just... I'm happy the way I am.
in the future there's going to be um, a slight difference in that um, with the coming of the new bill on nursing homes, one section of our home is going to have to be registered as a nursing home. Not the whole home, obviously, but one section. So that one section will be a nursing home. And we have been asked to take people, and people who perhaps would have come, but as I say, it was more our policy than the fact that there weren't people to come. There are many homeless women who are in need of just more than homes, but are in need of some sort of care. Well, would it be true to say then, sister, that there's just the same demand now for homes for women who fall by the wayside as there was, for example, say 50 or 60 years ago and they all came running in here? No, I wouldn't think that's true at all. Um, because, first of all, society is not so um, rejecting now. Uh, that's one thing. A lot of people who are on the streets now are into a very good and very high-class business, as you know, and they wouldn't come next night or near us, you know. That would be one thing. Secondly, you have corporation housing now for elderly women and supervised and, uh, uh, you know, subsidised housing that people like this can get homes in. So that certainly isn't the need. All I'm saying is there are some, you know, who would perhaps like it and need it. But in a way, a rather peculiar situation arises here. There are women who are in here now for 60 or maybe 70 years, some of them. And then you have nuns who were here for maybe the same length of time, and they've all more or less grown old together as one family. That's uh, unusual, isn't it? And how does it, how does it uh, interact? Or what happens as a result? I think that is very unusual, because I think that most institutions that there are run by anybody, you know, say hospitals and things like that, um, have a floating population in that staff change very often. And uh, people go in maybe for a certain number of years, but that's about it. You know, at hospitals, people would go in to die or people go in to get better. Yes, I think it is very unusual. And I think the interaction is excellent. And I say this, you know, um, we maybe have done many things wrong in that we didn't, we certainly in the old days hadn't enough, we didn't have enough freedom for the people who were with us and perhaps we didn't even respect them enough. You know, we didn't respect them maybe as people who were just like us but brought up in different circumstances. Now that has changed and we realise that, you know, it is true that anybody could end up on the streets given certain circumstances. Life must be much easier here now. Well, you see, the life is much easier now because we can go out, we can do what we like now. But when I came here, life was very hard. It was very, very hard. Life was very hard. But were you sent in by the courts at that time? I was. Yeah, I was. I was sent in by the courts for, and I'd done me two years. And when my two years was up, I was looking to get out again. So one of the old girls, a pal of mine, kept me on here. She was real old granny. I used to call her the granny. And she was 90 years of age. And she it was her that kept me in here. But wasn't it funny in a way? 
If you could have gone out after two years and you were yeah. a very young girl, yeah. that you didn't go off? No. No. Because I was afraid to go outside the door again. That if I go outside the door again, I'll only start back all over. So I stayed here. Now. And you have no regrets? No regrets at all. None so ever. And do you blame your parents now for not taking more care of you? I, well, I blame my father. As my mother was, oh, she was a real lady, a real lady of a, a mother. But my father was, he was always drinking. And he come home and he used to beat me terrible. He used to beat me, but the rest used to, he wouldn't put a hand near the rest of them, me sister and her brother. He wouldn't put a hand near them, for it was me that got it all. And when you came in here then, used the parents come in to visit your mother about you? My uh, father only came once to see me when I was here, because he was over in England, and he died in England, and my brother only came once to see me when I was here. And your mother? My mother's dead, and... Um, my brother and my sister only came once to see me, and I never heard much more about them. Now, I don't want to see them. No, I don't want to see them. And they know where you are? They know where I am. They never write to me. They never come over to see me. No, I don't want them. So I'm much happier without them. I think they're totally forgotten by the state. You see, they're not blind, they're not deaf, which are very specific handicaps. Um, they're not all geriatric. Um, they don't all have wooden legs or in wheelchairs, you know. They, they, there's nothing very specific that you can say. That's what their handicap is. And the state then, you see, they don't fall into a category, and to be cared for by the state, you have to fall into a category. It's just crazy. The system is wrong, and it's, it, you can't categorise the people that we have, and therefore they are forgotten by the state. I believe, for example, that they should be getting a disabled person's maintenance allowance. I think you can be disabled in ways that cannot be put into a pigeonhole. <laughs>